I love it. In-laws. Yep. Yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. Welcome to Super Together. I'm James Cochran. And I'm Ginger Rothis. And today we are going to talk about in-laws. Those are those people who are related to you by law, not by choice necessarily or by blood or birth or anything like that. Uh, and they have the potential to form some interesting relational dynamics. Um, here's the prep that went into this episode. Uh, I sent Ginger uh, a promo picture of um, a cake being cut. You, you'll see the promo picture, but and it just said in-laws. And I said, this is what you want to talk about tomorrow? And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So um, so that's, that is the... And then you hit record as soon as I got on the call. So here we go. You know, when I think about, there's a cultural trope related to in-laws, which is that, oh, in-laws, they're a headache. And, um, oh, the in-laws are staying with us from out of town. And there's kind of a, a general sense of, I don't know, dread, apprehension, unease as it relates to in-laws. I'm just curious, maybe as a starting point, where do you feel like that comes from? Uh, why does that exist as a cultural trope? You know, it's interesting as I was driving in this morning, knowing we were going to talk about in-laws um, and that was my prep time, 15 minutes. I thought, <laughs> you know, why do we have this adversarial kind of societal conditioning like in-laws are um, a tr a something to deal with in our lives? And, mm -hmm. and so that was, I was thinking along the same lines you are of where does this come from? And I guess, I mean, to me, it's like you're set up to feel judgment and, um, you know, am I, are these people that I'm marrying their child or I'm partnering with their child, are they looking at me like I'm good enough for their child? And, sure. you know, and I, I think, do we even know that that's really what's being thought? I mean, some in-laws may be really grateful that somebody loved their child <laughs> and yeah. it's not a judging thing. Um, but you're right. Society kind of conditions us that this is this is a heavy thing in our lives. This is a burden we have to carry with in-laws. And um, in my relationship with my in-laws, I have a lot of hindsight because my mother-in-law passed away and my father-in-law had a horrific stroke and is in full-time mm -hmm. nursing care and, and not very communicative. So I'm reflecting on um, a past relationship with in-laws, which is very different than when you're in it, right? And so in hindsight, sure. I have this perspective of like, why didn't I just enjoy them more? Why didn't I soak mm -hmm. them up? Why did I feel judged and where did that come from? And I think part of it is just this conditioning that I I came into you know, feeling like in-laws should be kind of a thing. And my parents, I'm an only child, so my parents adore Rob, sometimes I think more than me, <laughs> you know? And so that's an interesting thing too of like, does it have to be hard? But I have clients where it's very difficult and it's a huge pain in their lives, this relationship with in-laws. So I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. I have a very positive relationship with my in-laws. Um, and I, I think that Lindsay would say that she has a positive relationship <laughs> with her in-laws as well. And Lindsay asked me as I was coming down to record, she's like, so like, does this come up with your clients? Like, do people have issues with in-laws? And I'm thinking like, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, I wouldn't say that it is, first of all, as common as sort of our culture would have us believe, you know, it isn't as much of a 
reality in real life as it is in sitcoms. But I, when I do hear it, a lot of the time it has to do with boundary pushing and assumptions that are being made. Mm -hmm. So it is um, a couple is in conflict and one partner goes to their parents, people that are very important to them that have been a very you know important part of their life. Um, usually one parent, usually the same sex parent um, and has a conversation with them to say, Hey, here's what my partner did. Here's all the things that I'm frustrated about. Um, and you know, you know, so guide me into, you know, healing this relationship. And what that does in the partnership is it makes uh, the other partner feel like they're being ganged up on. And that uh, when mother-in-law comes to visit, it's my wife and my mother-in-law against me because they're the ones that chat about all of my shortcomings. Um, and, you know, I'm sort of left to deal, um, you know, with the remnants of that. Uh, I think another case of boundary pushing that I see a lot has to do with grandkids um, or um, money can come up sometimes. Usually I think it is more, um, you know, we have certain expectations about spending time with you, with grandkids, et cetera. And when those expectations aren't being met or communicated about, those seem to generate some degree of conflict. So I think we could probably sort of sort of circle around all of those. Do you feel like there are other types of issues related to in-laws that you see in the work that you do with your clients? Uh, the examples I was thinking of, I think you've already captured in the how you're raising your children is different mm -hmm. than we raised our children. And so sometimes there's judgment around that. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, the, yes, the siding against. So the child uh, confiding in parents. And then I see mostly women in my practice. So like a, a husband who has gone to the parents with an issue, then the wife feels very isolated and alone. And I feel like a lot of my conversations when they ask if their husband could come in to talk with us are um, around your your partnership is with your wife, right? And mm -hmm. you need to have her back. And so I think you're you're getting at that nuance of how this feels like somebody's teaming up on them sometimes with sure. against them with our in-laws. Yeah. And I part of me wants to consider this in terms of the evolution of a relationship. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't usually begin a relationship with everybody in the room. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the first date does not include parents. In fact, right. it's like you don't adding parents is this big relational milestone culturally, right? Like, oh, yeah, I'm meeting the parents this weekend or something like that. And so you develop a closeness, you develop an attachment, and then all of a sudden you are adding in these other opinions, these other personalities, these other expectations about what the relationship should look like. And if you're lucky, like I was pretty lucky, um, those generally tend to be favorable and everybody kind of gets on the same page. You know, Lindsay and I um, will often just remark at how atypical our relationship is. Lindsay's got a small family, you know, kind of nuclear family in town and I have a pretty big one. So we just kind of adopted her family. Um, so anytime we get together, it's, it's, you know, her parents and her brother kind of just come along and they're just part of the group. And so it's not ever been for us something that is, you know, having to consider these sort of separate viewpoints, separate experiences. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not certain senses of, you know, obligation and how do we make sure that we're effectively honoring these parents as much as we're honoring these parents. But 
I think for a lot of people, when that adding happens, you're doing it in a way that is, okay, well, we had a good rhythm going between you and I as partners. What does it look like to now incorporate these additional viewpoints and these additional rhythms? And like so many other the other things that we talk about, it, I think it comes down to assumptions. It comes down to conversations that are not happening. Um, you know, I've, I don't know that apart from maybe some of the premarital counseling that I do, I'm not, I'm not aware generally of couples saying, okay, let's sit down and have a really intentional conversation about the role that we want our in-laws to play in our lives. Um, how much influence we're going to give them, how much attention we're going to allow them to pay us and we're going to pay them, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that's sort of the, the baseline of what is or isn't happening and how that relates to the health of those relationships. Um, because as you said, you know, we, if left to the default, the default cultural standards is your, your in-laws are a pain. Um, and so if you just assume, okay, my in-laws are a pain, then it's hard to move to a place of closeness and a place that mitigates conflict because it's not, you're not applying that intentional energy there. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's almost like there's this built-in defense mechanism that we don't even realize is kind of embedded in us. Like we're already on the defense of our, you know, our parents to our partner when, like maybe we don't need to be. And um, yeah, I love this idea of an intentional conversation around it because that's so beautiful. And you're right, this theme comes up in a lot of our conversations of, um, you know, really talking about how uh, how we're going to do this. Um, because as partners, we ha have to kind of have a strategy around things. And mm -hmm. I love what you're saying about honoring both families. That reminded me that that does come up of holiday schedules. And mm -hmm. we've spent more time with your family and and we do this weekly dinner with your family, but not ours. I do I do hear those kinds of things coming um, from clients also of how we balance our time. And that has to be a very intentional conversation. Yeah. You mentioned this idea of the relationship, the sort of um, partnership being primary. Mm -hmm. And that is a hard thing for <laughs> us to live. Yeah, I think once you kind of, whatever your level of commitment is, whether it's um, just a declaration of partnership or marriage or whatever the milestone is that says, okay, you're my person, you're my top priority. Um, yes. And then from then on, that needs to be held. I mean, that's kind of how I look at a covenant is like, you know, I'm, I am your person to want the best for you, to help you be successful in life, to help you fulfill your dreams, to help you have fun along the way. Like mm -hmm. I'm your person. And so that means that, um, yeah, that that's upheld in every sense of the word. And I think those lines do get blurry fast. Um, so it's easy mm -hmm. to say at the beginning of a relationship, you know, and then when it starts to get hard, um, our loyalty just gets tested sometimes. And, and, circling back to that, oh, wait, this is my primary, um, you know, agreement. Uh, and this is the, you know, that came up for me when, um, so I grew up in Kansas City and met Rob and we were, we met when we were living in separate cities. We were mm -hmm. working in a city and met each other at work, but living in, since he was in Cincinnati and I was here. And so, um, and he decided to leave consulting, his consulting career and go back into a family business. And when he told me that we were uh, maybe a year into our dating relationship and that kind of was a like, oh, this is a stake in the ground that you have to now live mm -hmm. in Cincinnati. And 
okay, this is a this is a new level of commitment. Um, yeah. So my future would in Ohio, right? Right. <laughs> well, and I pictured Cincinnati as Cleveland because I'd never been there. And so I'm thinking industrial, cold, wet, no deal. But actually, Cincinnati is very, very similar to Kansas City weather and people. And so, yeah. So but it was doomsday for me in my brain of, wait a minute, and I'm an only child and my parents are really involved in my life and I'm just getting started. Do I really want to move to a city that... Um, you know, I don't know anyone. And so I had to really measure that decision with um, what comes first. Um, mm. You know, is this, is my future with Rob worth investing in? Um, and am I willing to possibly live in Cincinnati the rest of my life? And I, there were, so I ended up moving and I, we, you know, I had in my brain two years, I'll give you two years. And if this doesn't work out, then I'm going back. And, um, and I ended up being there for 10 and it was, it's interesting. I did have to fight resentment at times because, uh, his family business was all consuming as well. So now mm. I've moved here for you and now we're working around the, you're working around the clock and I don't have my people. And, but I will say in retrospect, that was one of the best growth experiences of my life um, because I just had to, I had to do it on my own. I had to own it and I had to fight the resentment and not blame him that I had to own that I took responsibility for this mm -hmm. decision. So in, you know, it, but it, and it, I think it solidified our relationship in some ways because um, I look back at that and then we, we went through horrible uh, I had, I got very, very sick and we went through years of infertility and, you know, mm -hmm. it's, he, he laughs when I look back at Cincinnati with these beautiful memories. Um, mm -hmm. cause he's like, those were really some of the hardest times in your life. But I think I was learning how to commit to somebody, how to forge it. Up. So these things that we feel like we're, we are losing and our partner mm -hmm. is gaining, Sometimes I think those can be beautiful opportunities if we allow it and not sit in that resentment. And I'm not saying it's easy. Mm -hmm. um, but when you pick your person, part of the deal is they come first in you know, and, and we're a partnership and we got to figure this yeah. stuff out. And so here we are now back in Kansas city and, you know, and every, and it's been a really awesome journey, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, I did have to put him first in a sense. Yeah. That is, again, one of those things that works really well. I don't know if it's fair to say that it works well, like in principle, or that mm -hmm. it's it works well until it doesn't, right? Yeah, when, exactly. Um, because when your primary relationship is the thing that is struggling, and again, I think mm -hmm. this is one of the things that comes up so often um, in, in the couple's work is, how do you effectively set that boundary um, where you say, um, no, this relationship is not one that I'm going to sort of press pause on and then go engage with my family of origin to, you know, offer me guidance in this way. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's a, a healthy thing to do generally, but I think we mm -hmm. give ourselves a pass when it's like, oh, well, I can talk to my dad about it because my dad mm -hmm. is, you know, he's my dad and he's someone that sort of exists in that role for me. But one of the things we talk about regularly in, in all family systems work is this idea of triangulation, which is, you know, engaging this third thing because engaging the thing directly is really, really hard. Um, so I would encourage couples to ask themselves the question, if I'm, if I'm resorting to connecting with my, my mom or something like that, instead of having a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation um, with my partner, 
ask yourself why. What is the barrier there? What makes that really hard? And then ask yourself, like, what am I risking here? What is the um, potential fallout of me engaging this? Not only might I um, upset my relationship with my partner, but I may be disrupting my partner's capacity to connect, you know, with my with my mother-in-law or with my, you know, my mother. I mean, again, the 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 titles and all of this start to shift depending on whose perspective you're talking from. But, you know, it's, you know, I can imagine that if my wife regularly complained about me to my mother-in-law, well, every time my mother-in-law came over, I'd, I'd feel uncomfortable. I'd feel awkward. I'd feel less. I wouldn't necessarily trust her as much. There'd be all kinds of barriers to that connection. So it's, it is really in the best interest of every piece of the system and every one of these sort of tangential relationships that we say, engage that primary relationship first. When that feels like it is at odds somehow with a familial relationship that incorporates the in-laws, um, say, well, this primary relationship is the one that I have to satisfy. Um, and I think what most people will find is that um, it is very seldom that those are at odds. I do think that we should talk about what is it, how does that happen when we are at odds? Uh, what does it look like? I'm thinking about, you know, in-laws as being some kind of point of conflict, you know, for us or something like that, or they're, they're angry with us, or um, like, what if I did something to upset my father-in-law? What would that do for Lindsay? How would she then figure out, you know, how to, how to effectively navigate that? Or what if, you know, um, my, my father did something that upset us both? I mean, so I, I'm, I'm wondering when we think about beyond just problems in the primary relationship, but what happens when there's problems with the actual dynamics that exist within laws? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think that comes down to, um, you know, what's worth fighting for? What's, what mm -hmm. is, what's, you know, I think that's an introspective time of where, where does my loyalty really lie and how do I want to navigate this? I know families who, you know, like the son-in-law embezzled from the family business and some things like that. And, and so the wife had to make a call of, do I, you know, I'm married to this man that just stole money from my father. Okay. What do I do with this? And, um, you know, and for her, that was really a working through, where where are the ethics in this? Where are the values? What's the reality? Was this one mm -hmm. bad decision or is this really indicative of who this person is? Um, you know, and I think it's so circumstantial on those kinds of things. But then I think it does come back to you as an individual kind of working through that on your own um, mm -hmm. to say what what is my what direction do I want to go? And then be, yeah. what is my truth? Um, and then that relationship, whichever one you kind of value more becomes the direction you go, but it's very complicated and messy and incredibly hard. And, and most of us, I think live not wanting to hurt anybody. And yet yeah, we get yeah. in these situations where, um, we are kind of forced to pick. And, and I mm -hmm. think what you're getting at is, is, is kind of a common um, struggle in partnerships is where where is my loyalty when I've been hurt deeply by my mm -hmm. partner um, or by a parent? You know, which which direction do I go here? Yeah. One of the things that feels interesting to me as I hear you speak is the times when I disagree with my partner or when partners disagree with each other. So if we imagine this spectrum, and and I would put, you know, crime like investing yeah. that's on <laughs> yes. that's on like a far end of the spectrum yeah all the way all the way down to like 
you know, um, my in-laws were supposed to chip in five bucks for pizza and they forgot yeah. to chip in five bucks for pizza. <laughs> you know, there, there's a spectrum here. That is quite but, a spectrum. <laughs> but I would say that anywhere on that spectrum, my wife can disagree with me and also support me. Yes, you know? exactly. And, and, and that's a that's a challenging thing for us to get our heads around sometimes, especially when we're very emotionally triggered. Um, but let's say I'm guilty somehow of embezzling money. Um, my wife could say, I really disagree with what you've done here. Um, just as I would disagree if you were involved in a hit and run with someone unrelated to our family or anything along those lines. Mm. Um, but I support you in a way that says I'm, I'm, I'm committed to being your partner, even though you're imperfect. Right now, your imperfection also happens to be hurting somebody that I really love. Um, and my supporting you doesn't mean that I'm, you know, ignoring that. It doesn't mean that I'm denying their pain. You know, I'm not, you know, trying to stand before, you know, this the person that was affected and say, you know, this isn't real. My husband's right and you, my father, are wrong. This does become very nuanced. And you mentioned it as very situational. But I think that there's there is a point in which as we exist along that spectrum, we just ask ourselves, so I'm an individual and I have the, the maybe I'm in a covenantal relationship or a committed relationship where I say, you know, I'm going to stand behind you even in your imperfection and also acknowledge that my individual assessment of the situation is that you're in the wrong um, and that here's how I would guide you. Here's how I would um, point you toward moving yourself toward being in the right. Um, and I think then we ask ourselves, what kinds of pressure do we assume are being implied from our in-laws and what kinds of pressure are actually being implied? Um, and I think that that broader assumption works in a number of different scenarios, even beyond this one. But, you know, in this situation, is the is the father-in-law who was a victim, you know, in the situation, is he saying, you need to divorce that person and, and cut them off from your life. And I, I never want to see him again. I never want anybody in our family to see him again. Um, or is it just like, is that, is that assumption more complicated? You know, so I think that there's mm -hmm. usually more question asking that we can do kind of beyond some of those initial assumptions. And that's hard. It's, it's so much easier just to say, well, they probably don't ever see you again. When in reality, it's like they, also really care for you and they're really hurt and we have to have hard conversations about how we make this right. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love everything you just said. And it brought me kind of back to where you started with boundaries because that's kind mm -hmm. of one of my working definitions of boundaries because I keep discovering better ones. Um, mm -hmm. But is that distance at which I can love you and me at the same time? You know, mm -hmm. it's, so it's yeah. this idea of, um, you know, I do love you. Um, I may not agree with what you've decided to do. And I also have to love myself and stand up for myself and not just be the doormat that gets walked over in the situation. And so a boundary is kind of this distance at which, right? And, and it's arbitrary. Everybody kind of sets that distance for themselves that at which I can love you, but also love myself in a sense of protect myself. Mm -hmm. um, at the same time. And so it's it's not that, you know, we there um we we can't both find um you know a win here like or it's mm -hmm. not mutually exclusive right that you right. give in and that person wins um so this idea of where where is the line at which i um 
I sacrifice too far. And then that goes into bitterness and resentment, which we know is so toxic to our relationship. So yeah, so boundary kind of comes to mind when you mm-hmm. describe that. Yeah. yeah. And that rounds us, I think, to a one of the questions that I don't think we talked about much, but is the relationship with like grandkids and thinking about, yes. um, you know, I want to you know, my kids, you know, our kids saw your mom last weekend. They're going to see, you know, why didn't they see my mom? You know, all this other stuff. Yes. And, you know, I I don't know. I think we balance that pretty well. But one of the things that I think we usually fail to do is apply the necessary amount of creativity in figuring out how we do what you just described. I love this, by the way, distance at which I can love you and me at the same time. And that I think is a question that if we apply some creativity, uh, we can often find an answer for. Uh, we can find, I'm thinking, for example, right now we're in this sort of social distancing space. Uh, one of the situations that I hope my wife doesn't mind me talking about, but is, um, you know, we're thinking about, you know, how do we sort of open the borders, so to speak? When is that, where is that safe to do when we're thinking about grandparents and family and we've got kids and my, my sister's got a new baby and, um, actually both my sisters have new babies. Like there's a lot of, um, and one of my brothers has new babies. There's a lot of new babies in my family right now, but we're asking those questions. And the challenge that we're finding is, um, it feels like there's not just like one blanket rule that we can apply to everything and loving ourselves and loving our in-laws looks different for each in-law. Um, so with my wife's parents, because, uh, my father-in-law is, um, his work kind of takes him into environments that aren't quite as um, stringent about social distancing policies and um, his general personality is a little bit more laid back, um, not in a negligent kind of way, but in a, you know, that's it's not the first thing that kind of comes to his mind kind of way. Um, you know, we're having to ask different kinds of questions, you know, so um, the right boundary for loving them and loving us at the same time means I've got to go to Home Depot and get um, garden steaks and chicken wire to set up a sort of quarantine section in our backyard so that they can come and see the grandkids. Um, and, but for my mom, who is a healthcare professional, who is very intentional about, um, all the different quarantine stuff, like loving her and loving us at the same time looks different. You know, she can come into our house and sometimes she might wear a mask depending on how long it's been since she's been in contact with the folks. And sometimes she doesn't, but it is a, um, it is a really interesting thing to ask the question, um, but really challenge what our sort of default assumptions are. Instead of just saying, well, you know, usually visiting the grandparents or the grandparents coming in babysitting or doing that, it looks like this. It looks like A, B, and C. Well, maybe it doesn't look like that right now. We still want to be able to love them, and maybe loving them has to look different. Um, and that's a question that we can engage with some mutuality. We don't just have to come up with all these assumptions, but we can say, okay. We're drawing the line here because that's what it means to love ourselves. You know, to love ourselves means we have to make sure our kids are safe, but we want to love you. So outside of that line, sky's the limit. You know, what are the things that we can do to effectively connect to the people that we love most? Oh, I love that example. That was perfect application for time and context of right now, mm. too, because I know so many families are in these same um, circumstances. And yeah, this idea of assumption of we we really assume what everybody's thinking, you know, mm-hmm. and and I think that's just a life life's work is that we start to let go of 
thinking we know what somebody else is thinking. And, and you know, I see this with my relationship with my mother-in-law is just my insecurities as a young woman, I think, always led to this assumption on my part that I was being judged. And and mm. and I'm not sure now in hindsight that was really happening. I think it was more mm. my imagination and my trying to please and do the right thing. And and so now with her gone, I, I look back at that time and really wish I would have relaxed and not not and just enjoyed her as a person and not put this baggage of um, you know, this in-law relationship around it of just what if I just got to know her as an interesting person and didn't yeah. feel like, you know, questioning if I was good enough for her son. Um, and, you know, and so I think that sometimes assumptions are so much easier to to recognize in hindsight, um, but we can learn from that and then not repeat it or not do it again. Um but yeah, I just I think sometimes we miss the opportunity to just enjoy people because we're caught up in this worry about, you know, am I doing the right thing as a daughter-in-law? Am I doing the right thing as a daughter? Am I doing all of that as a mother? And and what if there isn't a wrong answer? What if we just, you know, do our best and keep this boundary that you just really illustrated really well and make our families our first priority and then kind of let everyone make their own decisions from there and not feel responsible for everybody's feelings all the time. I don't know. There's just a lot that comes to mind around that. Yeah. And it begins, I think, as you said, with really just challenging our assumptions. So, you know, it's sometimes your first instinct, your first reaction is right. Um, and I think that there is a lot. I as a man, I'm trying to place more value on intuition because I've, I've been acculturated in a way that says, ah, intuition, that's a woman's thing and there's no value, you know. But I think the reality is that we have intuitive experiences and we should be paying attention to some degree to those intuitive experiences. But sometimes those intuitive experiences are incomplete. Um, you know, so for example, the, the tendency to feel like we are maybe being judged by our in-laws um, is that a function of the idea that we really love our partners and we want um, the people who love our partners to love us too? And so again, the intuition is correct, but is it completely correct? Is it Are there pieces to it that we also have to pay attention to and ask hard questions about? And uh, so I think in all of this, I think if we were going to sum up the work of this podcast, it's um, treat your primary relationship as primary and ask yourself, where are the spaces in which I am relegating my primary relationship to secondary or tertiary because it's easy, because it means I can avoid some difficult confrontation. And what would it look like if I shifted that to primary, even in spaces of disagreement, even in spaces where I'm not 100% on board with my partner's behavior. But if I treat it as primary, um, it will create much less friction in the space of that relationship. And then as it looks to being an ongoing relationship with our in-laws, um, using this definition that you articulated of creating a distance at which we can love our in-laws and love ourselves at the same time and asking creative questions about what that looks like, challenging some of the assumptions that we have that our, what our in-laws think about us, what they're thinking about the situations, what um, is maybe going to be quote best for that situation. Um, so yeah, lots of, a lot of different kinds of question asking, I think goes into this because what's interesting is, I Googled a picture for, I, I just, I think I just typed in, in-laws didn't bring up anything. Um, so I Googled in-laws just to get a stock photo for the this promo thing. And 
you know, I don't know that they're in-laws, you know, it's, it's a woman cutting a cake and an older woman sitting in front of the cake with just like a frown. Um, and I just, in my, in my imagination that is informed by my culture, it is, it is a daughter-in-law cutting the cake for a mother-in-law who is just looking at this cake with dissatisfaction. Yep. Disapproving. Yeah. Yeah. And baked into that, no pun intended, are a thousand assumptions. And those assumptions are informed by maybe my own experience. They're informed by culture. And those are the types of questions that I think we need to be asking is, oh, here's how I'm inclined to approach the situation. Uh, but how much of that is real? And, and really, at the end of the day, how much of that is productive in trying to shape the relationships that I want to have? Oh, there's the golden nugget right there is how productive is this thinking? Yes. So good. Um, and I think we should do an episode on intuition. That's, mm, that's sure. good. Yeah. Okay. Um, next week, intuition, next week, intuition. There we go. Um, yeah. Cause that, cause you're right there. That does, um, that's a big piece of this conditioning and intuition. And I think men aren't the only ones that could work on trusting intuition. I think women mm -hmm. kind of damper that early. So we should talk about that too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I feel like that is as good an in-law episode as we could have <laughs> expected from ourselves. If you would like to find out more about my practice, you can go to talkingwithjames.com. And for my practice, it's at compassionfix.com. That will do it for us today. We look forward to seeing you Tuesday of next week and then Friday of next week, which is when our episodes drop. Um, and until next time. Be well. Be well.